Okay, so I want you to open your Bibles. Um, if you have your Bible, um, I know a lot of you guys, just maybe show a show of hands. Some of you guys use the Version Bible app. Cool. So it's a pretty large majority. Um, if you are using the YouVersion Bible app, but you're not using the app for uh, the sermon notes, I would highly encourage you to do that, especially for um, sermons like tonight. There um, are a ton of links um, to, to different resources. And uh, yeah, at the end of this sermon and some of those resources, we are going to be talking through in our small groups. And so if you're not using the YouVersion Bible app um, to take notes and to look through the sermon notes, I would highly encourage you to do that. If you don't have the Bible app, you just go to your app store, whether it's Google Play or the Apple app store. And you type in Bible, it'll be the most downloaded app that is titled Bible. Um, and you go into that, you can make an account or you don't have to make an account. Um, and if you go to the bottom right-hand corner, you'll see those three lines and it says more. If you, if you tap that icon and go to events, you will find Bethel Youth as an event. And if you um, tap that, like that title... Um, you will find all of our sermon notes. If you save it, then you can access it after youth is over. You can access the resources, the Bible reading plans that we link within the YouVersion Bible app. So if you're not utilizing that, I would, I would encourage you to do so. Um, but we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 12, verses 13 through 17. And uh, I want to just give uh, just a little intro into this passage. Um, so the text that we're going to be studying tonight um, is right in the middle of other passages where different groups of people are coming to Jesus and they're asking Jesus questions. Uh, most of these groups of people had ill intentions. They were trying to catch Jesus um, speaking blasphemy, air quotes, so they could arrest him. And their, their ultimate plan was to kill Jesus. And something that I have um, wondered when reading texts like this um, is... is uh, what were they trying to trap Jesus in? So I don't know if you guys have ever, if you notice this in the last couple of passages that we've preached, it says they're crying, trying to catch Jesus in, in a lie, or they're trying to catch him in his words. And I've always wondered, like, what does that exactly mean? Um, another phrase that is used is something along the lines of, like, the religious leaders feared the crowds because they loved Jesus's teachings. And I've, I've never really understood what these phrases meant, but as I was studying for this um, sermon uh, tonight, I came across this quote in a commentary, and I want to read it for you because it was really helpful for me to understand what it means that they were trying to catch Jesus in a trap. They were trying to get him to speak blasphemy. And it was this, it's by Walter Wessel. What a cool last name. It's like weasel. Uh, their purpose was to trip Jesus up in his words so that he would lose, this is key, so he would lose the support of the people, leaving the way open for them to destroy him. And so when it's saying that they're trying to trap Jesus in his words, that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to catch Jesus saying something that would um, help him lose the support of the Jews and that they would help them be able to give grounds for them to arrest them. So I thought it was like really helpful. And I want us to have this quote in mind as we study these passages and as we study this passage tonight, because I think it helps us understand it better. So with that in mind, let's stand together. I want to invite Reg. Um, up. She is going to read our text in Mark chapter 12, 
verses 13 through 17. We'll give you just a second to get there. Um, if you don't have a Bible and you would like a paper Bible, we have Bibles on this side table back here. They're paper. Feel free to take one free of charge. That way you have a paper Bible if that is what you want. So Reagan, why don't you read verses 13 through 17. Later, they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. They came to him and said, Teacher, we know that you are a man of ignorance, integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. But you teach the way of God accordance to the truth. Is it right to pay in Peril tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. <laughs> Why are you trying to trap me? He asked. Bring a denarius and let me look at it. They brought the coin and asked him, Whose image is this? And the ins- Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, give back to Caesar what Caesar's and to God, what is God's? And they were amazed at him. Thanks, Reagan. I appreciate you so much. Heck yeah. You may be seated. Dude, you did so good. Yes, you did. That was good. Dude, Reagan, you slayed that. Uh, Before we dive into this text, let's talk through the timeline. So um, if you've been with us for the last few weeks, you might have vaguely remembered um, the timeline of where all of these passages fall um, in the timeline of Jesus coming to Jerusalem and ultimately being crucified. So uh, let's take, let's look at this. There's a timeline. This is the week leading up to Jesus's crucifixion. So on Sunday, Jesus rides into Jerusalem and the Jews are shouting Hosanna and celebrating him. You can read that in Mark 11. Uh, Monday, Jesus curses the fig tree, clears out the temple of the corruption, Mark, also in Mark 11. And then Tuesday of that week, Jesus comes back to Jerusalem, is walking around in the temple, and is asked by what authority he is able to clear the temple. And then Wednesday, this is the text that we just read. This is happening on Wednesday. Um, oh, hey, this is Wednesday. I just made that connection. Religious and political leaders ask him questions about taxes. They ask him about marriage after the resurrection and the commandments. So Zach is going to be uh, preaching the sermon next uh, Wednesday, and he is going to be talking about uh, the commandments um, in kind of in that verse 34 range. So let's start to unpack what we just read a moment ago. So there were two groups of people. Hopefully you caught on to them. There are two groups of people mentioned in this passage. They were the Pharisees. And they were the Herodians. So, the first group, who were the Herodians? Um, in this time, there were different groups of Jewish people, and they were either religious groups or they were in uh, political power. These different groups were the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Herodians, the Sanhedrin, the scribes, and the lawyers. So the Herodians were a Jewish political group that was in support of Herod Antipas, who ruled in the area of the Jews that, where this is taking place from about 4 BC to AD 39. And the reason they supported Herod was because if they supported the Roman government, 
It gave them perks as citizens um, or just living in this area. Um, This caused tension between the Pharisees because the Herodians' ultimate allegiance was to Rome and it was to Herod and not to God. So even though they were Jewish people, their ultimate allegiance was to Herod and the emperor. But they found common ground, the Pharisees and the Herodians found common ground in their hatred of Jesus. So who were the Pharisees? This was the second group that we just read about. They were middle-class men who were leaders in the synagogues, which were kind of the buildings where the Jews came together uh, to worship God. Uh, They were most active in the times leading up to Jesus and throughout uh, a few centuries after Jesus' death. They were prideful. They were arrogant. They looked down on people, and they lived a life that was to impress people specifically with their spirituality, with how how good they followed the laws of Moses, how good they followed the Ten Commandments and the other 611 or 612 laws. So these two groups came to Jesus and they asked him the question. They, they started their question with flattery. It's like when you go to your mom or your dad or your guardian, or your grandparents, and you want something from them. How do you start the question? What? You're looking so nice today. Uh, maybe for you, you, since you baked cookies with your grandparents, be like, Grandma and Grandpa, I just loved baking cookies with you so much. You know, How else do you start those conversations? <laughs> exactly. I noticed with our oldest daughter, Madison, she'll, she'll be five in February, and sometimes she'll catch herself going to ask us something or asking us to do something, and she'll stop herself, and she'll be like, Dad... I love you. And you know, she's done it enough times. And I'm like, I know you're about to start to like ask me to do something or you were about to ask me something in like a really rude way or something like that. Yeah, Josh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But we should have hot pockets. Yeah, what? What? You guys don't like hot pockets? Sweet. What's the best flavor of Hot Pockets? Pepperoni, just straight up. Ooh. Have you guys ever had any of the breakfast ones? Are they good? Have you guys ever had like the whole wheat ones? Yeah, they're trash. Don't eat them. Okay, so when we want something, we often try to lead with flattery. I think Katie said, you look really nice today. Or, oh man, we should go do this. This is exactly what this group is doing to Jesus. Um, They said in verse 14, you are a man of integrity. Remember, these are groups of people that want to kill Jesus. They want him gone. They want him out of here. They said, you're a man of integrity. You don't care what anyone thinks about you, and you speak the truth. Obviously, they didn't mean those things because if they meant those things, they wouldn't be trying to kill him. They were sucking up to make sure that the people saw them being hospitable to Jesus. So the question they asked, verse 15, was, is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? So why is this question important? So to us and to me, um, it doesn't really seem like a very big deal. It's like, because in America, we, we just pay our taxes, right? It's just a part of what we do. In Washington, we pay sales tax. And then we go to Oregon and we get a better deal so we don't have to pay sales tax, you know? It's just a part of everyday life. And so, but we have to remember that the Bible was not written um, to us. It was written for us. 
So there's things in Scripture that we have to unpack. Like, what is the historical importance of this? Why was this such an important question that they would ask Jesus this question to try to divide people over it? So we have to ask that question. So verse 13, um, the whole reason that they were asking the question was to, was to trap him. They wanted him to respond in a way that would frustrate people and that would anger people. So we have to ask another question. So who were the people that would be frustrated with the way that Jesus might answer this question? Here's another group of people that were in existence, the zealots. They were a Jewish political group that was deeply opposed to the Roman rule of Israel. They would use physical violence to try and dethrone the government. By giving money to Caesar, you were lining the pockets of an oppressive government. They were almost like a, ter- like a Jewish terrorist group to the Roman government. They wanted the Roman government out of here. They didn't pay their taxes. They didn't do anything. And they would resort to violence to make that happen. Fun fact, Mark, uh, Matthew 10, Mark 3, and a few other passages tell us that Simon, one of Jesus' 12 disciples, was a zealot. Plot twist. Meaning, Simon was called to follow Jesus, and his background was a violence, upheaval, and was trying to physically overthrow the government. Yeah, this is crazy. Uh, you want to hear another fun fact? You ready for this? Okay, here's another fun fact. Another disciple that Jesus had, his name was Matthew, and he was a tax collector. Why is this a fun fact? So glad you asked the question. Matthew was a Jew. He was employed by the Roman government to collect taxes from the Jews to then give back to the Roman government and keep some for themselves. You could see how there could be a conflict of interest between Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector. But yet they were both Jesus' disciples. Matthew the tax collector and Simon the Zealot were from opposite ends of the political spectrum. But because of their great allegiance to Jesus, they were brothers and co-workers for the gospel. One scholar said this about this um, situation. It's unfortunate that today many believers seem to be more committed to a political party or a political viewpoint than to the Christ, the church, the gospel, and the kingdom of God. These are hard and convicting words, right? Because we don't think about this dynamic within the disciples. We don't think about this like anarchist and this person who works for the government that this person's wanting to go against, but they're of the same nationality, but they find comfort, they find restoration in Jesus. Other groups that would have been potentially frustrated by Jesus' answer was the Pharisees. Uh, remember, they were the religious like uppities in, within Jewish culture. They didn't like paying taxes to Herod, but they didn't mind paying it. The second one was the Herodians that we read in the text. Um, they thought it was totally fine, and by doing so, they were, they were in good favor with Rome, and they were doing this so that they could uh, be blessed by them in tangible ways. Another article put it this way, if Jesus answered the question no, the Herodians would charge him with treason against Rome. If he said yes, the Pharisees would accuse him of disloyalty to the Jewish nation, and he would lose the support of the crowd. So we can see that this is, there's, there's a lot at stake for Jesus. Who is he going to appease? Who is he going to frustrate? 
Who is he going to make angry? His response was extremely simple, but yet very significant. Verse 17 says, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. So he's saying we live in the Roman Empire under the Roman authority with money that came from the Romans. Give back what is his and give to God what is God's. Jesus was making a distinction between the kingdom of this world, the kingdom of Caesar, and the kingdom of God. John 18, 36, Jesus says, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. What happens was these people, they had a hard time separating their loyalty as people to a nation from their loyalty to God as their ultimate authority. Which you could imagine would be really difficult to have any sort of allegiance with the Roman government because they were not the most hospitable and they were not the most kind people. You've read about them in your history class, right? They're not the most gracious people in the world. If you haven't read about them yet, you will. Um, Charles Cranfield said this. He says, uh, though the obligations to pay to Caesar some of his own coinage in return for the amenities his rule provided is affirmed. The idolatrous claims expressed in the coins are rejected. But he is indicating that there are obligations to Caesar which do not infringe the rights of God but are indeed ordained by God. So what he's saying is you get certain amenities because you are living in the Roman Empire. Because you receive those things, you should give to Caesar the tax so you can use and enjoy those things. So as a Jew, this is ultimately what he's saying. He's saying, as a Jew, you are not pledging your complete allegiance to Caesar simply because you pay money to a man with his face on it. And this might be up for some debate, but simply because uh, we say or I say the Pledge of Allegiance in school or uh, a sporting event or whatever the case may be, I am not declaring my allegiance to the U.S. government to be my savior. What I am doing is expressing my gratitude for the freedoms that I'm given because of what our country has done. And the Bible teaches in Philippians chapter 3 that we are first citizens of heaven. As Christians, you are first a citizen of heaven, and we are exiles and foreigners living on earth. Not, don't think of like aliens or anything like that. It's not like that. So what does it look like? Here's the questions that we're going to end with. So what does it look like to be a citizen of heaven first, but also live in this country as an American? How do we shape our view of the world and our view of people and how to love them from a biblical perspective first, not as an American first. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk a little, bit, a little bit further about this in our small groups and what this practically looks like. And so I want you to jump into your small groups. Um, the, uh, the guys are in the back. Girls are in the front. High school is on this side of the room. Uh, what I say? High school is over there. Middle school is on this side. You guys can go to your small groups, break up into your grades from there, and um, talk through the questions that will be on the screen.